bigger and better. Details are released of the new Metalvis supercomputer. This will be the biggest supercomputing machine dedicated to weather and climate in the world. It'll be about number 25 in the world for everything. The unstoppable rise of renewable energy. One of the big challenges is that reliance on weather and effects that has on the resiliency of the network. So you are at the behest of what the weather gives you. And the challenges of forecasting with autism. I often fail to pick up on subtle facial expressions or tone of voice, and I never know what to say, or worse, when not to say it. It's Friday the 23rd of April, and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir, and this is Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. This week, the Met Office announced a multi-million pound agreement with Microsoft for the provision of a world-leading supercomputer. To find out more, I spoke to Met Office CEO, Dr Penny Endersby. The state of the art moves on quite quickly. The one we have is actually one of the oldest we've ever had and it's past its design life now. So it is really essential that we replace it. It's a big step up because it's going to be fully renewable as well, which is fantastic. How important was the decision to go down this route? So it was an important part of our procurement requirements as much as the performance of the computer. And it's great that working with Microsoft, they've got that commitment, not just to this particular machine, but also for their whole business to become first net zero and then net negative. Uh, and that's very important for the Met Office too. So we've been able now to set out our own net zero strategy. You mentioned Microsoft. We're in collaboration with them. But it's also very important as a scientific body to stay independent. How does that collaboration work with such a huge corporation? Well, Microsoft will be delivering the machine. They'll be delivering all its maintenance. They'll be delivering things like the data storage. But what runs on the machine, that's ours. And that's the bit where the unique capability is for the Met Office. What fresh detail will this supercomputer bring to what we can provide as a Met Office service to the public? So what this enables us to do, first and foremost, is to run finer resolution weather models. Um, Remember, the huge data starts with what comes in. Um, So we'll be able to take on board better quality of observation data um, in more detail. And then what comes in then comes out the other end of the model. So we're looking at doing things down as far as a a sort of a city scale, 100 metre grid that you could relocate over particular cities where there's a weather event or a big event like the Olympics that's of interest. And then the other side's on the climate. So this machine will be used equally for climate modelling as it will for weather forecasting. And to be able to bring in very large ensembles that gives us the statistics of whether we can expect to see in changing climates. In comparison with other supercomputers in the world of weather and climate around the world, how is this one going to rate? This will be the biggest supercomputing machine dedicated to weather and climate in the world. It'll be about number 25 in the world for everything. And that's a massive investment by UK government, a real vote of confidence in the science and services that we provide. And I think it also signals their commitment to uh, really setting a lead on climate change and net zero and being a science superpower as well. How big is the is the capacity of this beast? So we think about this machine in terms of petaflops, 
which is quadrillion calculations per second. And we think about the data in terms of exabytes. So it's going to be storing exabytes of data, which is one with 18 noughts after it. Um, it's they're numbers that are almost inconceivable to contemplate. I would like to say that's mega, but I don't think that really... And mega's is. not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you're so enthusiastic when you're talking numbers. That's why you're, you're up there at the top of the Met Office. Penny Endersby, thank you very much. Climate has dominated headlines this week. Earlier, climate correspondent Graham Madge gave me a roundup of the latest climate science news. We began on Monday with a statement from the World Meteorological Organization with their State of the Climate 2020 report. And underpinning that was the scientific evidence of climate change from global observations, indicating that 2020 was one of the three warmest years globally since the Industrial Revolution. The decade from 2011 to 2020 has been the warmest on record. On Tuesday, we began to hear more details about the UK's sixth carbon budget, which makes a commitment to slashing carbon emissions by 78% by 2035. On Thursday, we had Earth Day, and we had the announcement, which you've just heard about from Penny, about that contract between the Met Office and Microsoft to build the world's largest supercomputer dedicated to weather and climate. And crucially, that will help enormously in our efforts to understand more about the global climate that will help both with mitigation and adaptation. And in the last 24 hours, lots happening with the Biden summit. Remarkable timing because Thursday was the fifth anniversary of the signing of the pivotal Paris Agreement on climate. And what we've seen is world leaders coming together to discuss how they're going to really get engaged with the world's biggest climate meeting in Glasgow in November, the so-called COP26. And let's just now go back to a few weeks ago. During the Easter bank holiday, we heard some good news about renewable energy production. That's right, Claire. Looking at how we reduce emissions is going to be important going forward. And Easter proved a fantastic example of the potential for emissions reduction. On Easter Monday, we had 60% of our electricity supply produced by weather-related energy sources, comprising 39% wind and 21% solar. To find out more, I spoke to Alex Fox, Met Office lead on surface infrastructure. We provide forecasts to a range of customers and companies right through the electricity generation and supply network. So everything from power generators and power stations themselves through to distribution network operators who get the power to homes themselves. Bank holiday Monday was quite unique for April, really. Often when we have windy weather in April, it's often accompanied by storms, clouds, rain, things like that. Actually, we had uh, a bit of a combination of both. We had some strong, consistent northerly winds, but also some really clear conditions coming down from the Arctic, many places up into eight, nine, and even the odd places getting 10 or 11 hours of sunshine. Short-term weather forecasts have always been part of the data we provide for energy companies. However, climate change adds another element, doesn't it, Graham? 
climate change is going to be hugely significant for the energy sector because it's going to affect demand, but also the Met Office has a role in helping the energy sector manage the best mix of renewable sources. Here's Alex Fox again. One of the big challenges as we move to more of a renewable mix is that reliance on weather and the implicit effects that has on the resiliency of the networks. You are at the behest of what the weather gives you. So we have to deliver a network going forward that is able to cope with the days where you don't get much wind power, you don't get much solar power and things like that. So the art is going to be helping those making the plans for what the future generation is going to look like of our infrastructure and making sure that that's resilient to those changes in the weather. Alex Fox talking there. And my thanks to climate correspondent Graham Madge. So far this month, it's been chilly, dry and bright. So can we expect any rain over the next few days? Here with the details, Ada McGiven. Very little rain expected this weekend, but there is some in the forecast for next week. More on that in a moment. But for the time being, high pressure is well and truly in charge of our weather. That will lead to widespread clear skies on Friday night. A patchy frost to wake up to on Saturday morning. That is away from parts of eastern Scotland and northeast England where there will be some low cloud and mistiness. That, I think, will retreat to the North Sea coast where it will linger through much of Saturday. Elsewhere, it will be largely dry with long spells of sunshine once again. Highs up to 18 or even 19 Celsius in the west. Sunday is looking very similar once again. It's going to be a chilly start to the day with a patchy frost. There'll be some low cloud around eastern parts of the UK and I think that will be more extensive through the day on Sunday compared to Saturday. A dry weekend is expected for virtually everyone. Into the start of next week, however, an area of low pressure will move into Scotland. That will bring some outbreaks of rain or showers. And then that will move south during Tuesday and Wednesday. And so I think showers will become more widespread across the UK on Tuesday and Wednesday. But they'll be very hit and miss. By the end of next week, it turns drier again. But it will also turn colder as northeasterly winds return. Thanks, Aidan. As part of an occasional series profiling Met Office staff, this week we hear from Yvonne, a frontline forecaster based in Wiltshire, who explains how autism shapes her work and her social life. I've always been passionate about science and learning how things work, so forecasting is interesting and occasionally fun. To most people, I appear outgoing, confident, easily approachable and generally cheerful with a readiness for laughter. However, this positive demeanour can obscure the fact that I am autistic, often specified as Asperger's syndrome, which means that I have difficulties with social interactions and communications. And by difficulties, I mean I really struggle in social situations. I can't read the room, such that I often fail to pick up on subtle facial expressions, verbal cues or tone of voice, and I never know what to say, or worse, when not to say it. Trying to fit in socially has been a constant theme throughout my life. It means that coping with social demands and nuances can overwhelm and mentally drain me. Every event requires an escape plan. I need to know that if I'm getting overwhelmed by too many people, I can always bail out and go home. The following day, after a social event or evening, you will always see me hunker down at home with my beloved cat for company. It's not the alcohol, but what I always think of as my social hangover. Although I'm not happy in social situations and I don't cope well with unexpected changes or surprises, I can and do take comfort in routine and familiarity. 
I enjoy knowing what forecasting tasks I have each day, despite what the weather throws at me. It can be straightforward or complicated, but by and large, they're consistent. Another issue is that I struggle with vague instructions and goals, and I have difficulty breaking a large task down into small steps. I cannot conceive of deadlines one year away, but one hour to issue time and I'm on it. Discussions within our internal autism network has highlighted to me that while I like short-time deadlines, other autistic people can find them very stressful and prefer the ability to manage their own time and set flexible deadlines. I am honest with everyone. I say what I mean and mean what I say and I expect the same from everyone else. I take things at face value and so can get frustrated with people who lie and manipulate others, even in fictional entertainment. On a final note, us autistic folks are in good company. Greta Thunberg, Dan Aykroyd, Chris Packham, Sir Anthony Hopkins and David Byrne are just some of us who happen to be in the public eye. Just before we go, here's Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here are the UK weather extremes for the week beginning Monday the 12th of April, continuing until Sunday the 18th of April. The highest temperature of the week was 16.0 Celsius at St James's Park in central London on Sunday the 18th. There were some exceptionally cold nights for mid-April. The lowest measured temperature was minus 9.4 Celsius at Tullock Bridge in Invernessia in the early hours of Monday the 12th. The maximum rainfall figure was recorded at Castle Derg in County Tyrone in Northern Ireland. 12.6 millimetres fell on Monday the 12th. With high pressure dominating, there was plenty of sunshine around last week. The longest recorded amount was 13.6 hours at Kinloss in Grampian on Thursday the 15th. Thanks, Martin. That's it for WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir and editor was Adrian Holloway. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.